Good morning, everybody. How are you today? It is good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Glad you're joining us in person and online. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Um, while you're turning, let me just say, um, uh, make mention of something I rarely do. But there are some folks that work so hard behind the scenes that you never get to see their faces hardly. But they are here and they work to make sure that sound and lighting and video and technology are all there to help you engage in worship. And would you just join me in expressing your appreciation to our media team and all our volunteers? Amen. So thankful for them, so thankful for, our, uh, for Sarah Westover, who it, uh, falls under her leadership. And um, if you ever see them, they're usually wearing a shirt that says media on it. Tell them how much you appreciate them. Today, I'm going to talk to you about finishing our series, Miracles. And we've talked about miracles of provision. We've talked about miracles of protection. And today, I want to talk to you about miracles of healing. I'm going to be honest with you. This is probably one of the more important messages I will ever preach to you because it answers questions that you have. The questions are not whether or not you believe God can heal. It's what happens when God doesn't do it the way you want it done. Where is God? What is he doing? What is he accomplishing in all of this? Jesus is talking with his disciples on the night before he is to give his life on the cross. And what he tells them is all of the great works that he's done, all of the miracles, all the things that he's done. Here's what he says in verse 12. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. That seems unbelievable. The person that believes in me will do greater works than even I did. So why is it that it seems that sometimes God doesn't do what we ask him to do? Let's answer that question this morning. Father, in these next few moments, these folks don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. So help me just be a mouthpiece of your grace and your truth today. I pray you would anoint the words you've given me to say as they go forth and on our ears to hear them and our hearts to receive them so you may, you may accomplish your perfect will in our lives. And we'll be careful to give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you believe that God can still heal people today, right now? Yeah, very good. How many of you have ever prayed for God to heal someone and he didn't? Let me see your hands. Okay, you can put them down. Therein lies the tension. It's the fact that he can, the fact that we believe, and sometimes God doesn't do it the way we ask him to do it. When we know he can, but he doesn't, it sometimes is confusing. It sometimes brings questions, sometimes brings doubt. But the Bible is filled with miracles. In the Old Testament, just a few of those, there is a woman named Hannah who is well up in age and has never had a child. And so she prays to God to have a child. And she says, if you give me this child, I will dedicate this child. He will serve you all of his life. And in fact, he gives her a child. That child's name is Samuel. He becomes one of the greatest prophets in Israel's history. The Bible tells us that Elijah raises a boy from the dead in the Old Testament. It also tells us that God heals the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, from insanity. After seven years of being out of, his, um, out of his rule, off the throne because of insanity, he heals him and restores his kingdom again in order to accomplish the purpose of God. 
The Old Testament is filled with it. The New Testament has over 30 documented, in the ministry of Jesus, 30 documented healings that take place. But Scripture tells us, John tells us, that if we were to write everything that Jesus did and all the miraculous things that he did, that there wasn't enough paper and books in the entire world to contain all the wonderful things that Jesus did in the miraculous. Peter and John, after Jesus rises from the dead and goes back, as Pastor Lance said, and ascends to the Father and is preparing a place for us. They are on their way to a temple to worship God. They encounter a man who is crippled, and when they encounter him, the man asks for money, and they said, we don't have silver, we don't have gold, but what we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk, and the man is healed immediately. The Bible is filled with miracles of healing. But you probably have the question, if God can, why didn't he heal? And you can fill in the blank. Why didn't he heal my grandparent? Why didn't he heal my friend? Why hasn't he taken away this addiction, this depression, these migraines? Why did God not heal my mom or my dad, or my baby or my spouse? It's the question that we hold the tension that God can, and we know that, but then those moments where we realize God hasn't done it for us in that moment. I wanna give you probably the most basic, but most important thing you need to know about miracles of healing. It's this, our God heals, but he doesn't heal everyone all the time. Our God heals, but he doesn't heal everyone all the time. Now, here's where the rub lies. Because you can read that statement. You can agree with that statement. Theoretically, that makes sense. Personally, it doesn't. You can say, okay, our God heals, but he doesn't heal everyone all the time. But, but why not mine? Why not my need? Why not my illness? Why not, why not the physical need of my loved one? Here's the point about the miraculous. Miracles exist to show the glory of God and to get the attention of people to point him to, to Jesus. It's the purpose of miracles, all of it. Now, you get to benefit from the miracle. If God heals you, you get to benefit, but it's not about you. It's about him. Miracles don't happen because you've figured out the method to get what you want. Can I get in your business a little bit? Nobody wants me in their business. Can I get in your business a little bit? Our preferred way is to figure out a method to control God. We call it all kinds of spiritual things. But if we'll pray the right prayers and pray them in the right way and do it at the right time and turn the right knobs and dials just the right way, then God has to do what I want him to do. But you know what? If God has to do what I want him to do, he no longer is God. There's the rub. We want to be in control, but our life is out of control. So we want to control the one who is in control of all things. Paul, in Scripture, is an apostle of God. God has given him the great ministry. He's planted more churches than anyone else. He's written more in the New Testament than anyone else. 
Paul has performed miracle after miracle. There was a time where Paul was shipwrecked on an island and there was a poisonous snake that that grabbed hold of him. And all of the the indigenous people of that island were shocked and thought, surely he's going to drop dead. Paul shook the snake off and then walked about his business and they were absolutely enamored that he wasn't dead. They were so impressed and, and amazed, they started worshiping Paul as a God. And he said, no, 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 this is the God. It's a miracle. It's a miracle of healing. The Bible says that one night he was getting ready to leave one of the places where he was, and he knew he wasn't going to be back there, so he began to preach and teach, and he taught and drone on and on and on. If you think I go long sometimes, it went hours upon hours upon hours. There was a young man sitting in the windowsill named Eutychus, and he got so tired and sleepy that he fell out of the window, and the medical doctor who wrote the book of Acts Luke says, that man fell down and died right there. And Paul went out, raised the man from the dead through the power of God, and went back to preaching. This is a man who is used to God using him in the miraculous, in healing. And yet, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, One of his dearest friends and closest companions, one of eight that is with him on his third missionary journey, his prayers aren't working for him. Here's what he says. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. A man that poisonous snakes can't touch. A man that raised someone from the dead, and he said, I just had to leave him sick. One of his dearest friends. He writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. Timothy is his protege. Timothy has what most scholars believe to be stomach ulcers that are giving him fits and so much pain. And he's prayed for him, and he's prayed for him, and he's prayed for him, and there is no healing that's come for Timothy at this point. As a matter of fact, here's what he says to him. He gives him medical advice at this point. He says, don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you were sick so often. Wine was the only thing that they prescribed in those days that could help that stomach ulcer. This is what he's saying. I've prayed for you and I know it's not working. Would you at least try to take care of yourself medically? Can you feel the frustration probably? That God uses you to raise someone from the dead, protects you from poisonous snakes, works miracles all over the place. And even Paul himself doesn't seem to be effective in the moment with his friend Trophimus and with his protege Timothy. Paul even writes at one point that he had a thorn in his flesh that was so severe that he prayed to God three times, will you remove this from me? And God said, I'm not going to remove it from you. My grace is sufficient so that my power can be seen in your weakness. God can heal, but he doesn't heal everyone all the time. Miracles are meant to catch the attention of people with the miraculous and the spectacular. Here's what I know. Here's what you need to know. Every person in the Bible that was ever healed eventually died. I know that sounds profound. But all we do is look at the passage and think, oh yeah, that's the end of that. Look, there is a purpose that God is going to fulfill in your life. I get it. You desperately want your prayers to be answered for yourself and your loved one. 
I get it that God sometimes moves in the miraculous and sometimes he doesn't. I'm a living, breathing witness of this. My wife was diagnosed in 2006 with cancer. We saw the results. We saw the biopsy. But by the time they went in and removed the lump, it was all gone. They couldn't find it anywhere. It's a medical miracle. Verifiable. In 2018, when she faced it again, God used doctors and nurses and the miracle of modern medicine to move in her life and completely eradicate it to the point that they were amazed at it. Six months ago, same prayers, same belief, same faith, and God called her home. I get it. But it doesn't deny the fact that God can heal at any moment. Therein lies the tension. Therein lies the struggle that you and I have. So I want to give you this morning three reasons according to the Bible, that Jesus didn't do miracles. Three circumstances. And then I want you, at the end of this message, to understand we're going to pray, we're going to believe for the miraculous healing to take place in your life. Amen. Because our God, just because he doesn't do it all the time for everyone, our God still heals. Amen. And if you're in a crisis you're in a position and you're a candidate for the miraculous healing of God to take place in your life. Three reasons Jesus didn't do miracles. Number one is this. Jesus refused to perform miracles to prove himself to people who demanded it. In Mark chapter 8, verses 11 and 12, it says, When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived, they came and started to argue with him. Testing him, they demanded him that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. And when he heard this, he sighed deeply in his spirit. And he said, why do these people keep demanding a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth. I will not give this generation any such sign. This is such a fine line for us as believers. God does do miracles to prove that he's over everything. But he doesn't do miracles to prove himself over and over again to believers. At some point, you got to believe what he's done and stop demanding that he keep doing things so you'll keep believing and you keep serving him. I know that hurts. I know I'm stepping on your toes. It's okay. I stepped on mine this week, okay? I realize that. But this is the fine line that we walk. And if we're going to be honest... We will pray and we will tell God that this miracle is so that he can prove to everyone else that he's God. We'll say things like, God, if you do this, everyone will know that you're Lord of all. If you do this, so many people will come to Jesus because of the witness that I have. If you do this, revival is going to break out in this church and in my community and all of these things. God knows your motives better than even you do. And even though you have good intentions, God knows that sometimes you place and I place our personal preference over his sovereign will. And he knows it. And he's not mad at you. He's just not going to allow you to manipulate him. Jesus never performed a miracle to prove himself to people on demand. 
God already knows how his name is best going to be glorified. And God needs for believers to not keep asking for him to prove himself over and over again. He needs for believers to already believe what he's done and who he is. That he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords and the maker of heaven and earth and that he is, was and is and is to come. And as Pastor Brett read, it gives us a glimpse that Jesus Christ is forever and ever and worthy of all praise. Amen. He doesn't perform miracles to keep proving himself to you. He performs miracles to show himself to the world. The second reason is this. Jesus never performed a miracle that interfered with God's ultimate plan. Ever. So this is them. There's a, there's a separation, a dichotomy of beliefs. And a lot of people find themselves on one end of the spectrum of the other. One is the sovereignty of God, that God is sovereign and he's in control. And so if you are all over on the sovereignty of God, and that's all it is, then you believe that God's in control. I have nothing to do with this, so my faith doesn't matter at all. That's, that's one side. The other side believes that my faith is in complete control. That whatever I say earnestly, believe earnestly, that God has to do. The problem is, God doesn't live in your personal theological camp that he is sovereign in his will, but he partners with your faith to see his name glorified. Listen, on the night Jesus is going to be betrayed, he is in the garden of Gethsemane and they come to arrest him. Judas comes to betray him. And when they come, Simon Peter is going to try to defend him with a sword. And as he swings the sword and tries to kill one of the people that are going to, that, that's going to arrest Jesus, he cuts off the man's ear. Jesus reaches heals the man's ear, and this is what he says to Simon Peter in Matthew 26, verses 53 to 54. He says, don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly? But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? We want so badly for God to do what we want him to do that we try to convince him that it's his will to do it sometimes. And Jesus isn't mad at you. Jesus understands. A few moments prior to this, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is in anguish and anxiety. He's worried and filled with humanity, knowing that he doesn't want to go to the cross in his humanness and the flesh that he is robed in. He literally is so and so anguished that the Bible says that he is sweating drops of blood. And when he prays, he prays, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup of suffering pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Even Jesus understands exactly what it means to be in a place where you want something so bad, but then you have to yield to the ultimate plan of God. And what is the ultimate plan of God? To see as many people come to know and yield their lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ and spend eternity with him forever. That's his ultimate plan. Does he want good things for your life? Yes. 
Does he want to bless you? Yes. Does he want to anoint you? Yes. Does he want to pour grace out over you? Yes. Are there times he's going to heal you? Yes. Are there times he's going to do the miraculous in your life? Yes. But his ultimate plan is not for your pleasure. It's for so many people, as many as possible, who will call on the name of the Lord to be saved. That's his plan. And for the believer, when you understand this, you understand that God has a place and a purpose and a destiny that you fit into his plan. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, the psalmist says this to God. He says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Notice this. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. And then this. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Do you understand that? is that God, before he ever created you, knew you, knew the purposes he was going to use in your life, knew the plan he was going to accomplish, knew already all of the decisions you were going to make. You say, wait wait a minute, if God already knew it, do I have a choice? Yes, you have a choice. But the sovereignty and free will coming together means that God is not ignorant of your choices, but already knows them. He knows the choices you're going to make. He knows the prayers you're going to pray. He knows the faith that you're going to exhibit in those moments where you need him the most. And God knows all of it. All we can see is moment by moment, but God knows the beginning from the end. And the highest goal of a believer is not extending this mortal life on this earth. It's to gain eternal life with him in heaven. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we think that I think it's just one more miracle, one more moment. And we have the temporary in mind when God has the eternal in mind. Would you hear me? Because Psalm 139 says, every day was recorded. Every moment was laid out before you were ever formed and before you were ever born. There is no such thing as a premature death for a believer. I want to give you some hope this morning. The devil can't snatch you or take you out. You don't have to run and live in fear of what the devil is going to do to you. I want to free you up this morning. You don't have to live in fear of the next attack of the enemy because there is no way it is going to, he is going to take you out because God has given you miracles of provision and protection until the day that your purpose is finished. And until that moment, even if someone tries to take you out, the devil tries to take you out, God's protective, miraculous hand is upon you till you fulfill everything he's called you to do. But if you don't know this, and you don't understand this, when someone you pray for isn't healed, then you'll believe wrong things. You'll begin to think wrong things. You'll think that you prayed wrong. You'll think that you didn't have enough faith. 
you'll think that God doesn't care. You'll think that God isn't able. And you'll begin to blame yourself or you'll blame God. In my own journey of grief, I have come into contact with people who are grieving. Can I tell you something? One of the saddest things is to see someone who's placed personal blame on themselves because they thought that they or their prayers were the answer. Jesus is the answer. And can I tell you, to watch them blame themselves because they think, if I'd have prayed a little bit more, if I'd have believed a little bit more, then somehow this would have turned out differently in the life of a believer whose purpose has been fulfilled. I told you last week I was going to be transparent with you, and I am. But this morning, I'm not doing it for my sake. I'm doing it for yours. You have been on my heart for the last few weeks. I realized six months ago, I lost my wife. My children lost their mother. But I also realized you lost a pastor's wife. You lost a friend. You lost a mentor. You lost a prayer partner. And I want you to hear me. Some of you have been wondering, where was God in all this? And what could we have done differently? Listen to me. You did everything you were supposed to do as a believer. You left nothing undone. You prayed. You believed. You cared for us. You mourned with us. There was nothing more you were supposed to do except believe that when the purpose and the plan for someone's life is complete, that God doesn't rip them away from you to punish you. He brings them a home to reward them. When you pray for your loved one and they don't get healed and God brings them into his eternity, listen to me. At that moment, they've gotten the complete rest, complete peace, perfect healing. They are in the presence of the one that we long to be in. As Pastor Brett was reading it, and we talked about that day when we'll stand together and we'll sing together blessings and honor and glory and power be to him forever and ever Can I just tell you something? When that loved one you have doesn't get healed, but God takes them home, they are now standing in the presence of Jesus singing the song that we long to sing one day. And listen, we don't worship God because of what he is just going to do for us. Our hope is not in empty words. Our hope is not in empty Christian cliches. Our hope is in Jesus, the one who bore our sins on a cross, the one who took our place in a grave, the one that rose to life again so that we could have new life here and eternal life to come. Our hope is not a concept or a theory or an idea. Our hope is a person and his name is Jesus. And no matter what the outcome is, he's worthy to be praised. Amen.
the same time of God's sovereignty, God still wants us to have faith. The third reason Jesus didn't do miracles, he never did a miracle where there was no faith. Ever. As a matter of fact, the Bible specifically tells us in his hometown where the people who were most familiar with him, the people who saw him grow up, they knew his family, they knew everything about him, that when he went there, no miracles were performed. Here's what it says in Matthew 13, verse 58. And so he only did a few miracles, but in that place, other passage tells us when he gets into their hometown, he couldn't do any of those things. Why? He refused to do them because of no faith, their unbelief. Just because God has an ultimate plan, just because he has a sovereign will, that doesn't mean he's called you to a life of complacency or a life without faith. As a matter of fact, Jesus over and over again in scripture rewards faith. There's a woman that comes to him and she's had 12 years of uncontrolled bleeding and she can't, it, it, is, it isn't just affecting her physically. Because of the bleeding and the tight, she is ceremonially unclean, which means she can't go to the temple. For 12 years, she can't go to the place to worship God that she longs to be at. And so she comes to Jesus. He is surrounded by people and she can't get to him. And she says in her mind, I, if I can just get near him, if I can just touch the edge of the outer robe of his clothes, I know I can be made whole. She touches the very edge of his robe. And the Bible says he stops and says, who touched me? And his disciples were amazed. They said, what do you mean who touched you? There are hundreds of people. Everybody's touching you right now. He said, no, no. Somebody touched me because I felt virtue, heart energy, literally faith leave my body in healing. And he turned and looked her in the eye. She never told him what she wanted. She never said anything. He just looked at her and he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. There's another moment where there are lepers, skin disease, that are refu- they, they are not allowed to come into contact with anyone. They come to Jesus. He allows them to come close. And when they come to Jesus, he simply says to them, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. There's another place where there's a blind man who yells out to Jesus from the side of the road, And they tell him to be quiet, and he yells even louder. Jesus calls him to him, and Jesus now asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And this man says, I want to receive my sight. And he says, go, your faith has healed you. Notice something about them all. None of them were the same. For the woman, she never even had a conversation with Jesus but she exhibited her faith in the only way she could. For the lepers, they came as close as they could to Jesus. And he told them to go their way. Their faith has healed him. For the blind man, he literally asked a question, what do you want? He tells them exactly what he wanted. Every one of them, Jesus said, your faith in me has healed you. So what is the key to faith for miraculous healing? You have to have enough faith to bring it to Jesus and trust him to meet the need in a way that he knows is in line with God's will. There is a man at the bottom of a mountain in Matthew chapter 16 and Mark chapter 9. 
that the Bible tells us that Jesus and three of his disciples come down from this glorious encounter, seeing Jesus glorified, Mount of Transfiguration. This man is at the bottom. His son is with him. His son is literally tormented. And the man brings him to the disciples and to the Pharisees, and none of them can help this child. He can't speak. The Bible says that he's often taken over, and it throws him into the fire, does himself self-harm. And when Jesus comes and asks what's going on, this man says to Jesus, I brought him to your disciples, and they couldn't do anything. And here's, here's his faith. He looks at Jesus and says, if you can do anything, would you do something? Now, I've seen a lot of faith teaching in my life, but that's not in it. I mean, they tell you, you got to be confident. You got to say it boldly. You got to say it loudly. This man, all he said was, if you can do anything, would you help him? And then Jesus said, if, if you can. He said, anything is possible for him who believes. And this is the man's response. He said, oh, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. With everything that I have, I believe. But I know there are little pockets in my heart and circumstances that are coming up that are causing seeds of doubt to well up inside of me. So Lord, I believe with everything that I have to believe. But would you help me in the places where I have some unbelief? And the Bible says that Jesus reached down and immediately touched him and healed him. Not perfect faith, Enough faith to bring it to Jesus and trust him to do it in the way he knows needs to be done. This is the key to all of them. They believed that Jesus was enough. They told him what they needed and what they wanted. But they didn't tell him how to do it. This is where we get into so much issue. We want to just, we want to bring it to Jesus, but we want to tell him how to do it. When he already knows what's going to be best for us and what's going to bring the most glory to God. What is faith for miraculous healing? You have to have this attitude. I believe God can. I believe he will. But even if he doesn't do it the way I want him to do it, I still believe in him. I believe this morning that God wants to heal you. Some of you, he wants to heal your body. Believe that with everything that is in me. And we're going to pray in a few minutes. When you come up here for prayer for healing, for your body, for the body of your loved one, believe that Jesus is enough. I believe he wants to heal your mind. He wants to give some of you, restore some peace in your mind because you've struggled with something for so long, you're finding it difficult to believe right now. I believe for some of you, he wants to heal your heart. You are brokenhearted over what you think was God's refusal to answer your request in your own life or the life of your loved one. But I also believe he wants to heal some of you spiritually this morning because you've been so disappointed with God that you've allowed the enemy to come in and sow lies into your mind in such a way that it has built up scales over your eyes and you can't see God for who he clearly is. And you think he's unjust and you think he's unkind 
and you wonder where he is. But just like the apostle Paul, when God encounters him on the road to Damascus, he literally for a moment allows the scales to come on his eyes and and he's blinded so that he can go to someone, present himself, someone can pray for him and the scales literally fall off his eyes and he can clearly see who God is. I believe this morning God wants to remove the scales from your eyes and you can see him in his glory and his goodness and his grace and his power and his love that the enemy has convinced you isn't there. I believe he can. I believe he will. But even if he doesn't, I still believe. You know, Isaiah 53 tells us that Jesus was going to be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, that the chastisement and punishment that we might have peace with God was placed upon him. By his stripes, we're healed. As we partake of Holy Communion this morning, I believe that the body and the blood that we observe from the sacrifice of Jesus is going to begin the work in your life for healing to take place physically, emotionally, in your heart, in your mind, and in your spirit. You should have received some elements when you came in this morning. If you take those, if you did not receive any elements when you came in, would you please raise your hand as high as possible and we'll give those to you. There are two layers that you would need to unseal, please. The top one is clear. It will give you the wafer that represents the body of Christ. And then underneath that, there's another seal that will reveal the juice that represents the blood of Christ. There's something about when the people of God focus on the sacrifice of Jesus that remind us that he's enough. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. He said, on the same night that the Lord was betrayed, he took bread and after he blessed it, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat and remember it's of me. Would you remember the body of Christ? And in the same manner, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is my blood and the new covenant. Take and drink as often as you do and remember it's of me. Would you remember the blood of Christ? For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When you partake of Holy Communion, you're reminded of the sacrifice Jesus made. You're reminded that he rose from the dead and is still alive today. And you're reminded that he is coming again. I'm going to pray for you. And I want you to prepare your hearts. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would. As I'm praying, I'm going to ask our prayer team to go ahead and move out while I'm praying. Come down here, get in front of the altar. As soon as I say amen, I want you to hear me. If you need healing physically, emotionally, 
for your mind, for your heart, maybe for your spirit where the enemy has convinced you that God isn't good in these moments. I want you to step out and allow someone to pray with you. I believe when we agree together, God's healing power is gonna come and touch you today and set some of you free today in the name of Jesus. Heavenly Father, right now, we believe. To the best of our ability, we believe. We believe you're enough. We bring to you our wants and our needs. But Lord, we're not gonna come and tell you how to do it. We trust you. But more than anything, as we bring them to you today, we remember, Lord Jesus, that you are enough, that you have the power and the authority and the grace and the strength to meet our needs. And so we give them to you today. Do what only you can do now in our lives. And by faith, we give you praise in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, if you've got a need, I don't want you to delay at all. I want you to come out. Step out right now in an act of faith, believing that God is going to meet you at your point of needs right now. If you're in this room and you're, uh, we're going to begin to worship, what I want you to do is don't just sing songs of praise. Don't just, don't just lift up anthems of words. I want you to sing those songs on behalf of the people that are down here believing for a miracle in their life. Let the body of Christ be the body of Christ this morning right now. Let's worship and believe together.
you believe it today? And nothing comes close to the Almighty. Nothing as sweet as His love and mercy. Nothing comes close to the Almighty. Nothing as sweet as His love. this room, can we just tell the Lord how faithful he is today? Whether you've come down to the front or you're worshiping him and praying to him from your seat, let's magnify the name of the Lord today, that he is generous and faithful and true and kind. God, and way more than we want all the things of this world, we want you. Increase our faith today. Yes, Jesus. And what a 
I don't know if you can feel what's in the room right now. Sometimes God shows up in these really strong moments. You know, in the Old Testament, the Bible says that Elijah really wanted to get a glimpse of God and feel him and know him. And they asked God just to, would he let him see him? Would he let him experience him? The Bible said that rain and wind and thunder and lightning came by. And he was fully expecting God to be in that. It said God wasn't in that. In that moment, at that time, it said God showed up in a still, small voice to speak healing and life and peace into his life. I believe that's what you're experiencing this morning. God showing up in a way you didn't think he would show up. To not wow you but to speak peace and healing into your circumstances. So would you just tell the Lord right now, just maybe extend your hands like this and just say, I receive your peace. I receive your grace. I receive your healing. I trust you. I've brought it to you. Now do what only you can do. I believe. Help any unbelief that I may have and be glorified in my life and my healing. Amen. Come on, give the Lord praise in this place. Amen. Amen. Here's what I know and believe, that he who began a good work with you is faithful to complete that good work in you. And so I'm believing not only for your continued healing physically, healing for your mind, healing for your heart, healing for your emotions, some of you healing spiritually today. He's going to take your brokenness and turn that into wholeness. He's going to take your sorrow and turn it into joy and take your mourning and turn it into dancing. Amen? I believe that and I receive that today. Amen. Let me remind you, next week starts our three-week series at the movies. I want you to invite someone, be here. It's going to be fantastic. I hope you'll be a part of that, 945 and 1115. And before you leave today, I consider it an honor and a privilege to be able to speak a blessing from Numbers chapter 6 over you every single week. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you, folks. Love you. Have a great day.